Welcome to Beading Together, a way of being together while you bead, crochet, bake cookies, string lights, walk, jog, drive. We're here to keep you company while you get into flow. So slip into those earphones or turn up the speakers and join us and our invited guests at the virtual kitchen table where we will talk about life from birthing to the end and all things between. We're recording today on the traditional unceded shared territory of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh. To the east of us is the Pitt River, which connects up to the mighty Fraser River to our south. To the west, we have the Burrard Inlet and the Salish Sea. And to the north, we have mountains and terrain that extends up through British Columbia all the way to the Yukon. We are so grateful to be here on this land and to the First Nations who have cared for it. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa Shepard. I'm known as a Métis beading artist, but just like you, I'm many layered. I'm also a mom, a wife, an Italian, an Albertan and British Columbian, and a person who starts Christmas music on December 1st and prefers eggnog with real grated nutmeg on top from the actual seed. In my heart though is a deep feeling of responsibility that I carry for future generations. This is episode two, our Christmas episode, and I hope you'll really like it. I'm joined today by my guest host, Dave Pelche. Tanshi Dave, please introduce yourself. Hi Lisa. Tanche, Tanche Kiawao. My name is Dave Pelche. I'm uh, Metis living in Surrey currently, um, but my uh, family goes back to the Red River settlement and area in Manitoba. Both my parents are uh, from Winnipeg, but uh, I'm just Metis on my dad's side. Your family uh, and my family probably hung out together in the Red River there. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I've been. I was born and raised in British Columbia, so I know you're. You're. You grew up in Alberta and yes. moved out this way. I've lived uh, my whole life, or most of my life, in in uh, British Columbia. Different parts. Yes. Uh, I was born up in Chetwynd. I had my childhood in Kamloops, my adolescence in Terrace, and I've been living in the Lower Mainland since then, while I've been in the country. And uh, it's been great. I love. I love it out here, and I like. I love being able to uh, participate in the Métis culture out here and pass it along to my two uh, lovely daughters. And I was thinking about uh, thinking about doing this podcast and when we first met, and I can't actually put my finger on it. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that you were one of the youth, one of the older youth, and I think you were taking a beadworking workshop with me. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I was trying to think about this the other day, too, when was actually the first time we met. Um, I think it was when I was a youth, and use that term quite loosely. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I think it would have been around the 2010 uh, Olympics. Yeah, or, that feels right to me too. Or maybe leading up to that. I forget yeah. uh, when that would have occurred. But And, I, and I'm sure it was a, a beating workshop or, or a jigging cla- workshop or something, something like cultural. that. Something cultural. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The culture brought us together. It did. It did. <laughs> and we've known each other, gotten, gotten to know each other quite well since then. And, yes. Uh, and we've worked together on, on, on a lot of things, so mm-hmm. it's great to... Yeah, and we've worked together a lot, too. Um, Dave is the president of Golden Ears Métis Society in Maple Ridge, BC, and I'm the vice president. And so we've, we've done a lot of work together. And one of our favorite events that we like to plan um, with our board is the annual Christmas 
gathering. Our, our Christmas gathering. I always, I always I look forward to that every year. Yeah, we usually have Ernie Dakin. He was he was one of the mayors of Maple Ridge. Would come out in a Santa suit and and hand out gifts to the kids. How and, incredible is that? That the know, right? the former mayor of of the city of of uh, Maple Ridge would come out. Put the Santa costume on. Uh, he plays it up. It's so great. I think he enjoys it as much as the kids do. And and we always had the gifts for the kids, and he hands them out. And uh, I know the kids always their their faces beam as soon as they hear the uh, the bells and and yeah. him walking in. And all the families come together, and we have eight foot tables right <laughs> yep. strung together, and and food. And more music. food than we always have leftover food that we send home with we people do. in packages, yeah. right? right? And always the like music as well. Thing. Yep. Yes, we always have our live musicians. As a matter of fact, the Berard family and the the one uh, girl in the family, Alexa Berard, is the same person who uh, designed and, and recorded, wrote and recorded our music for this podcast. That whole family is so talented. They're incredible. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But last Christmas was kind of like, wah, wah, like it just wasn't very fun, right? I mean, we didn't have, we didn't get to have our gathering and I'm nope, sure, you know, I'm not the only one sitting here feeling sorry for us. Like everybody had a kind of a different Christmas last year. Yes, it was definitely a, a different Christmas. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, obviously we, we weren't able to as our community to have our, our gathering, but even just, you know, families not able to, to meet and uh, to join up together. I know that was the same for our family. We, we stayed home. We didn't uh, yeah. go to visit my fa- my parents or my brother and sister. So that was uh, it was different for sure. It was a gap, right? There's yeah. a hole in our hearts when we aren't able to come together like that. Definitely, you know. And I think that for a lot of people, this Christmas it may not be any different. You know, especially in BC with all of the flooding that we've had and you know people being displaced from their homes. You know, it's going to be a really tough time and. My hope that with this episode that we'll just be able to, you know, give people something different to think about for a little while, you know, lift spirits a bit. And to hear some of the stories, you know, of Christmas's past, um, you know, and traditions that have developed and uh, new ones that are going to be starting and and how how family and tradition and culture seems to always come through, you know, in times like Christmas. Now, Dave, your family is a really diverse Métis family. And there's uh, different traditions, I'm sure, at your household. Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, well, um, I met my, my my wife when I was living in Taiwan. She's right. from Taiwan. Um, she came back with me uh, when I moved back to Canada in 2008. And uh, we now have two uh, beautiful daughters. Beautiful daughters. Very talented, so both fun. of them. And, you know, and for them, it's, it's incredible. They are... Um, they're both bilingual. They yes. speak Mandarin and and English, and they can flip on a dime. You know, they could they could look at uh, they could say something to my wife and have a conversation, and then quickly turn to me and everything in English. And they, it's so normal to them. I'm so jealous. And your oldest daughter has gone to school and presented about the Métis. She has. I was so proud when you showed me that. She has. I, um, you know, they had a, a class assignment where they were to come in and present on their their culture or their um, ethnicity or their identity. Yeah. And uh, she put together, I think it was probably five to ten minutes, presenting on who the Métis were. Yeah, she, had her, she had her sash. She had a Métis flag. Um, and... The teachers recorded it, so I did get to see a copy after, and and it was great. I was so proud that, that she was able to relate her culture to her class without, you know, one with so much knowledge, yeah, um, but also without any, con- you know, 
shame, embarrassment, no anything like, or yeah. any fear. Yeah. Um, that was, I think, was what was I was most proud about. Yeah. Uh, and there are people that came here before us that helped us get to this place where, where it could happen that way, right? Definitely. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You said something to me about my boy that that what you're saying reminds me of, and that's that you know they are raised in their culture knowing their culture and you know that's a gift that we can give to our kids and you know it we're really at a turning point in metis history that way aren't we we are and i think you know as as a great example just um a couple of weeks ago uh on louis riel day yeah. uh november 16th um i was chatting with my daughter she had come home from skating and we were talking and and I said, oh, oh, do you know what day today is? And she said, uh, she's thinking about it for a second. She said, no, it's Tuesday. <laughs> and I said, well, do you know the date? And she's thinking, yeah. no, uh, November 16th. And I said, is there anything special about November 16th? And all of a sudden her face lit up and she said, oh, it's Louis Riel Day today. <laughs> the fact that an eight-year-old will have yeah. that uh, knowledge and, and excitement. Yeah. about And she'll Louis share Riel. it with others. Exactly. Like she'll go to school and talk about it, right? Exactly. Share it with others. So, you know, I'm so <sighs> proud job, to have things. <laughs> so glad that she's growing up in the culture um, and, uh, and having, you know, learning that knowledge base, again, without any fear or embarrassment or shame. Yeah. And, you know, which, unfortunately, a lot of people didn't have that experience or you know, or are getting that back. Right. And, uh, I think that's a very important uh, part of, you know, and goals of things like this podcast and, and things like that. So what goes on be- at this time of year in your family? Uh, what, is, this, what does it look like, sound like? Well, this time of year, there's always skating. Uh, yes. My daughter <laughs> uh, is quite involved in figure skating. Um, there's Christmas music. Um, that certainly gets played a lot, especially yeah. in the car drives. Um we will be shortly coming up with, uh, we normally put our Christmas lights up outside on the house. Uh, I usually try to wait till December 1st. Right. Um, but uh, so that's coming up very quickly. Um, and then we'll be, you know, putting up our Christmas tree and decorating. I know the girls love doing that. Um, but one of the things, obviously, because we're coming up to December 1st, um, we always have uh, Advent calendars for my yes. girls. And so, you know, they love, you know, they come down every morning to, to look what's the little gift or the prize that, right. they, that they get. and um, Count down the days to Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. Count down the days to Christmas. Favorite and, thing for kids to do. Oh, they love yeah. it, right? And so um, we've had, over the last couple of years, different versions of Advent calendars, not just the ones from the store where, you know, with a chocolate or something, yes. but something different. And, right. you know, they might get a, an eraser or a pencil or... So do they have one this year? Well, they always they always have one, okay. but this year we're going to do something a little bit different, or I guess maybe an addition. Um, one of the things we're going to do this year is we're going to take our sash, and each of the girls have their own sash, and probably on the 30th of November, we will tie 25 knots into <laughs> the, the strands. Um, and then on each day, when they wake up, they'll be able to untie one of the knots <sighs> until they break it down all the way down to That's brilliant. To because, you know, if, and I know you know this, but, uh, you know, back in the 1800s, yeah. um, you know, you don't have calendars, you don't have day planners, yeah. you don't have reminders on your cell phone. Um, one of the ways in which Métis people would keep track of time uh, would be to tie knots in their sash. So, so let's yes. say, for example, you were going to go away for a 10-day trip. So you would tie 10 knots in the end of your sash and in the threads that uh, hang up at the end. And so after each day, you untie a knot, and then the next day, another, 
And you can feel how many days, if you bring your fingers down that fringe, exactly. you can feel the bumps of each knot and you can count it one, two, three. It's as a very you go. tactile yes. uh, feel, you yes. know, uh, experience. And so, you know, you've, after you've you've got five left, you're nice, oh, it's time to go back. I've come my five days. I need to go back. So I think I'm going to tie that in, I think, this year. That's with the fantastic. Girls, you know, counting and now all these people who have listened can do the same thing as yeah, exactly. well. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's going to be a whole new trend of Métis sash advent calendars. Exactly. <laughs> happening, hanging on the backs of people's oh, I, doors. I, I should have uh, trademarked this before I started yeah. speaking of it. <laughs> Brilliant. Dave, we're, we've invited a couple of guests today, and they're going to share some of their favorite Christmas stories or win winter or Christmas stories. Yeah. And so I'd like to start off and ask if you have a favorite winter or Christmas story that you'd like to share. You know, it's funny. I don't think I have a favorite. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, when I think of being a kid and uh, Christmas, um, you know, I think of when I was living in Kamloops and, um, you know, where we lived, it was great. We had a large uh, natural park, essentially, or, or, or parkland behind our house, right. which now, you know, my parents are still at that house. Um, it's completely different. It's all been developed. And oh, so it's so yeah, sad. But, you know, I, I remember growing up, you know, hiking and building forts and and all those sorts of activities you know uh, as a kid that were just wonderful like you know it was our it was our kingdom we just traipsed yes. around the whole thing you know me and some friends and you know my brother and so you know that's what I grew up with you know we were always running out the back um, to play yeah, nobody had to say go play outside right? no exactly yeah. we were always out in the bush playing and you know yeah. even though we're kind of still within town we were out in the bush yeah it was great um, and so one of the things that I recall as a, as a kid, and it's, for me, it's still one of the funniest things I recall. Um, there was a little creek um, in, that would go down this bit of ravine back there. And sometimes it would freeze over and uh, in certain wider parts and you could walk across and we would, you know, as little, little kids, you know, jokingly, we'd have like our hockey stick and just kind of play on this little creek. Yeah. Um, one of the days though, I remember I was out with my father and my brother. My brother is about 18 months younger than I. Um, I don't know how old we would have been. Probably, maybe I would have been seven or eight and he would have been, you know, 18 months younger than that. Yeah. And we were, you know, hiking and walking through the, through the snow. It's probably, you know, shin to knee deep. And, you know, of course, you know, you've been out for the whole day. Maybe we had some hot chocolate. You've Got to go to the washroom. Eyelashes are freezing together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we had to use the washroom. And so, you know, you're out in the bush. What are you going to do? Okay. Uh, you're just going to write your name in the snow or something like that. <laughs> and so I remember, you know, and, and, and so I'm, you know, often doing my business. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I heard something that I had never heard before. I heard my father. Yeah use a swear word oh no it was the first time i had ever heard it that i that i could recall and i turned around and i looked and my dad was kind of hopping and my brother was standing next to him and i was like what's going on and apparently as they were going pee my my you know normally maybe you might pee up against a tree my brother decided to pee up against my dad's leg oh, no. filling his boot oh no and uh 
for me, that was the funniest thing. I'm a, you know, I'm seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's slapstick. Just, it, oh, slapstick, yeah. you know, like real life slapstick. Exactly. And and again, the again, I was just shocked that it was, I heard the first time I heard my dad swear. Uh, it was just one of those stories, you know, one of those things that just sticks with you, you know. And I so could, I ask you to tell a Christmas story, and the one that you remember <laughs> is brother peeing on dad's leg. Well, you know, <laughs> when I think winter Christmas, that's that's where I go. <laughs> Memories are funny that way. You know, as you were telling your story, you actually gave me back a memory, something I hadn't thought about for a long time, and that was that we had this little poodle terrier dog, little white dog, and I remember my dad taking a little wooden sled, like the old-style wooden yeah. sleds, and my sister, she was a December baby, so I guess she would have been just over a month, or sorry, just over a year old, and bundling her up in the snowsuit and putting her on the sled and tying up a rope to our little poodle terrier and getting her to run around the yard. Yeah pulling my sister on this sled and you know and I I think of these little things that like come through it that like probably influenced from what he remembers as a kid because I know my my grandpa sorry it would be my dad's grandpa so my great grandpa had a dog team yeah and I remember um when I learned about that I was so surprised and I said to dad well wait a minute I always thought this going back many years I always thought that you know, it was people in the Northwest Territories that had dog teams. Yeah. And he said to me, where do you think Edmonton was? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that was the Northwest Territories then, right? So it's interesting, like, how stories get passed down and, like, the things that we learn in school. That sometimes we learn these things, but they're not put into context. That's right. The, the context is completely different. What it was and, then, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. when you, you know, for myself, growing up, you hear Northwest Territories, you're thinking north of 60 Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. Exactly. Right? As yeah. opposed to really the whole the whole prairies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think of all of these these wonderful memories of, you know, being a kid at Christmas time. And yeah. I'm so glad we've got a couple of guests to come on here today yeah. to I'm, share some of I'm their stories. I'm excited to hear the yeah. stories. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm so glad that we get to be here in this log cabin with the, the potbelly stove going and the fire going. You can hear the fire crackling. And Fire's crackling. There's snow coming down outside. I've got my hot chocolate with I've marshmallows. I've got my eggnog. With marshmallows. I've got my eggnog with nutmeg on it. Yeah, this is definitely not a recording studio. No, we're definitely not sitting in a recording studio with foam walls in rainy Vancouver. Yeah. Oh, Dave, I think that I hear our first guest. It sounds like someone's outside. Yeah, yeah. well, let's let her in. So our first guest today is Tanya Daverin. Tanya is the Senior Director of Métis Nation BC, Ministry of Health, Mental Health and Addictions and Elders. But more importantly, she is the Christmas elf with the quintessential Christmas house in her hometown of Vernon. Welcome to Beating Together, Tanya. Yeah, well, come on in. Come out of the cold. Thank you. Burr. <laughs> you hitched the team. You're here and ready to go. Why don't we start out just getting you to introduce yourself? I mean, I gave like the formal, this is this is your title, but introduce yourself beyond that. Sure. So my name is Tanya, and I'm a proud citizen of Métis Nation, BC, raised in, born and raised in Vernon, where I have my three children as well, and with my husband of uh, 24 and a half years. And just really happy to uh, be in the same city I was born in and be around my family. It's been uh, so important growing up and certainly, um, 
you know, being able to do things on the land with our family, enjoying our family's cabin and doing all those things that um, we do as a family and really acknowledging our Métis culture, harvesting and picking berries and making choke cherry jam and all those things that uh, I've just been raised in. I've been very blessed. Well, Tanya, one, I've known you for oh, it's probably a decade or maybe even more now, but one of the things that I'm excited to hear about today, something I never knew, um, is this, you're being the Christmas elf in your, your house in Vernon. I did not know that. So maybe you could tell us uh, what that what, what uh, you do at your house uh, during Christmas. Sure. Um, yeah, I love Christmas. Like, I never take time off in the summer. I always take December, as much of <laughs> December off as I can, because I just love doing everything Christmas, like lights and getting together and gatherings and you know COVID was really tough right Uh, last Christmas um, I was my my sister and her husband and family their two kids had the misfortune of having um, a vehicle of a drunk driver drive into their home in October Uh, so that put them at our house so with COVID-19 and being able to have only one household gathering uh, we were blessed in that way that we could be together as a family but it was really tough I know my mom and dad had to be at home and you know just for safety so uh, this year with things changing a little bit I'm pretty excited about Um, our opportunities to return to our normal which is Christmas Eve it's all about Christmas Eve coming together and Yeah, like, you know, Dean will bring like, you know, traditionally harvested uh, or not salmon, but uh, sausage and pepperoni and cheese and just food, 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 just that gathering, right? Like, I don't even care about Christmas dinner, really. It's all about Christmas Eve. And we actually, um, my husband, Rob, has uh, our son, Mitch, in Tokyo. And so in Japan, they traditionally have KFC um, on Christmas Eve. That's a big thing. So we've added... We've added KFC to our Christmas Eve um, <laughs> ritual, which is a little bit different, but we do that to honor uh, Mitch and his beautiful wife, Emiko, and our grandson, Kai. It's always it's always interesting how kind of traditions develop, right? You know, you grow up with certain ones, but, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I have two daughters now, and they're both quite young, but I can imagine as they grow up and as they develop their own families, how those traditions might evolve, how they're going to, um, you know, adapt and, and, and create some new traditions. And so that's really exciting to hear uh, how KFC has made it into your... <laughs> as we're adapting, as our family grows. But, um, you know, certainly my earliest childhood memories are being at my grandparents' place up on Stepping Stones, you know, uh, the fire, the hot sauna, and then rolling in the snow and just spending time as family together there and uh, my grandpa was uh, you know who passed in 2008 definitely the patriarch of our family from our Métis roots and uh, he was a a fish and wildlife guide and had a radio show and had skidoos and we'd be in like snowrama and things like that and I remember I was about seven or so and I got on the baby skidoo because we had different sizes of course and you know I think it was my uncle Bob or maybe Dean had said okay yeah break left gas right or something like that Uh, and then I promptly forgot everything and just gunned it full gas right into the fence with my glasses fogged up (laughs) glasses went flying uh yeah that was that was a time for sure but um you know I just think about you know as as we got a little bit older my mom was a single mom raising us until uh, she married my dad at 12 so we would go to my uncle Bob and Aunt Cheryl's place and I had so much fun with my cousins and that's something I really 
made sure that our families were close because closeness is so important and it happens, you know, in a blink of an eye, you can lose touch with people. So, you know, making sure that our kids are being raised together and that they're spending that time together. I mean, we often joke with my sister and her husband and my nephew, Riley, and nieces, Tessa and Brooklyn, we said, we should just like sell all our houses and get a super house. Like we could totally do that because we lived together for six months and we knew it was fine. And even the teenagers were like, yeah, we should do that. That sounds that's like a amazing. good idea. So that's, you know, that auntie role is just so precious, right? In in Métis families and just that you're the second mom, you're the backup, you're the person. So um, yeah, I just think about, you know, when we were kids and we were with my uncle Bob, who was essentially acting as my dad um, through all my childhood. Um, I get a little misty. Oh, I know you're making me misty yeah. telling this. I remember your uncle Bob. Yeah. So we would like, Dean was always the creative theater kid all through high school. And, and, you know, um, we would do the, the original Christmas Eve, right? We'd have the manger, we'd have all the, we'd dress up. I was always the king for some reason. And I, <laughs> I think my hyperactivity always had me about half a frame out of the picture every time a picture was taken. But I just think of those, you know, those evenings that we'd have together that Christmas Eve. Sorry, I'm just a bit. I'm a little bit clamped. But this is the thing, like these Christmas memories we think about, they're, they're everything. You know, it's it's Métis families gathering together and, you know, enjoying time together, having the food, you know, like we, everything that we do, it's 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 a memory of, of everything that we are. And when something changes or somebody's missing from that yeah. circle, we feel it deeply. So I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah, the emotion. And, you know, I just remember all those wonderful evenings of like storytelling and playing games. And then, you know, Christmas would happen in the morning and we'd have Bannock in our stockings from (gasps) like, you know, like no other kid had Bannock. And this is before my grandpa was openly being very proud to be Métis. It was sort of him finding his own roots and uh, tracing his heritage and, and being able to apply for citizenship um, at the nation. I have many, a question many years for ago. you. Because yes. you said no other kid had Bannock in their stocking. As a kid, did you know that? Like, did you know no, that what you no, had, what your I, family was doing was unique? Or did you no. think that all other kids had Bannock in their stockings? I just assumed it was something people had. Like, you know, like yeah. the orange in the bottom of the toe. Yes. I just assumed Bannock came in your stocking. So, yeah, it's, it's just... Um, yeah, I just think, you know what, what what makes me me is those memories, right? Those people that have impacted us so much over the years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Tanya, you've discussed, you know, how Christmas Eve works. How does Christmas Day work? You say, you know, you come down in the morning, you get find your bannock in the stocking, hoping it's not coal. And, uh... <laughs> oh, we've had coal, too. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And we've had rainbow or reindeer poo. Oh, jeez! Well, you know, that, that's one of the good things about Métis families. There's always, you know, the humor and the trickster kind of side of those. those I, I know it's too. got me wondering, like, you know, Métis family and the, and the joking around. Like you said, you had reindeer poo. Like it really yeah. was, right? It was my mom and dad when they got married and they had rabbits, and so they would collect <laughs> they collect rabbit poo and put it in pill bottles and put it in our stocking as we got older and oh. were cheeky teenagers. But um, yeah, so Christmas morning, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, as soon as you go to bed, Christmas is over. Like, I'm just like, I'm done. That was all about that. Yeah, Christmas Eve. Uh, But Christmas morning, obviously, you know, Christmas Eve, everyone, you know, gets around the tree and we do the one present, you know, where the kids get to open their 
pajamas. It's the same thing every year, but they're always excited about it. And then, yeah, next day, you know, we have my aunt come over. My mom and uh, my husband traditionally make Christmas morning wife saver the night of Christmas Eve. So we do we that, that too. Yeah, yeah. Like my mom has a recipe from a, it's probably like a booklet from the 80s that used to oh, come out. Oh, it was out probably the like the paper. joy of cooking or something like that, yeah. I bet. Well, no, it was actually like an insert in our newspaper. And oh, so oh, she wow. has like this like seriously old piece of paper and she doesn't need it anymore but she does have a picture of it um and that's what we make and it's just so much easier in the morning i mean obviously kids when they're younger sometimes you're like you can have cereal i know you don't like it you know maybe make some cinnamon buns but now that they're all older they're like what where's the christmas morning wife saver i want some more can you tanya would you share that recipe with all of our listeners of course, I will share okay. the recipe my mother does with my husband. That is definitely their thing on Christmas Eve. They uh, have been doing that for 20 plus years together. So that's fantastic. I would be happy to share that. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. And then, yeah, in the morning, basically, you know, my aunt will come over and mom and dad sometimes spend the night, depending on how their dogs are behaving. Um, <laughs> but uh, everyone comes over in the morning. And I mean, you, you know, you've obviously got your stockings and Santa and those things that happen with your kids at their own home. But everybody comes over and we open all our joint gifts together and have Christmas morning lifesaver. And now recently, uh, we love Disneyland. The Disneyland, you know, uh, Christmas morning parade is on. So we tape that and we watch that and have our coffee and just visit and uh yeah that's sort of that and then christmas dinner um i used to go over to my in-laws uh place for christmas dinner so we were able to you know split that up quite nicely um but this year that won't be the case and last year no the year before actually rob's mom came and spent christmas with us, which is really lovely it's the first time that's happened um so yeah things you know things evolve they change but uh yeah really christmas Christmas is a great time and I love snow like I'm a little bit sad there's no snow right now I was wondering if there was snow there yet we had snow and then it melted it's like raining and yeah yeah Yeah, I like November 15th to January 15th I want to see snow like so what about what about Christmas music where are you are yay or nay to Christmas music oh it Alexa loves me yep (laughs) and so and so when is the start date um, well, today actually was today. the first day I've listened to Christmas music, but um, my favorite Christmas album is Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. Oh. Home for the Holidays, I think it's called. I don't know what it's called, but I have it like I had like the CD. I had the tape at one point in my life. But um, yeah, we grew up listening to Dolly at Grandma and Grandma's yeah. house. Yeah. Yeah. Dolly Homemade Parton, Kentucky Willie Christmas Nelson. is my favorite Christmas song. Uh-huh. for sure. Dave, what about you? Um, we, well, right now I can, we, my, uh, in, in the car, there's, I forget which station it is, but it's like 24 hour a day Christmas music. And so that's been playing in the car all the time and the girls love it. And Aww, all the songs, right. it has like the traditionals, you know, Bing Crosby, but as well as, yes. you know, the remakes by whomever is the, 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 the current pop star that I'm not familiar with. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the girls enjoy it. And I, I was, we were in the car the other day and I said, my goodness, is it already Christmas music? And I mean, that was, you know, about four or five days ago. So I was like, I, I like to wait until December. Um, uh, maybe uh, same with uh, putting lights on or anything like that. I kind of, for me, December's a Christmas time. November, I get that little bit of a break between, uh, you know, the craziness of Halloween and, uh, you know, the reflection of Remembrance Day and then just mm. that, that last little bit of an inhale and take a break before then Christmas. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I mean, my husband and I both serve, so nothing happens before Remembrance Day, but November 12th, game on. If I'm feeling yeah. it, it's happening. <clears throat> for yeah. me, Our lights have been up for a while. For me, it's John Denver early. and the Muppets. John Denver and the Muppets for me is the best Christmas album. There is nothing like hearing Miss Piggy sing about figgy pudding. Love it. (laughs) You know that um, uh, Fraggle Rock for all us Gen Xers is coming back out. They're redoing Fraggle Rock. And I don't know if you remember the Christmas episode of Fraggle Rock, but it was pretty sensational. So I'm stoked (laughs) stoked about that. that, that Actually, I'm pretty excited about that. I didn't realize that, but I grew up watching Fraggle Rock on, I think it was like Sunday nights. And yeah, I remember watching that as a kid and... That would be interesting to, to 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 reflect and see what what does that look like, you know, decades later. <laughs> for sure, for sure, yeah. Like I think about you know all those childhood memories when we go to my grandparents. Even you know if we we're going to the sauna and doing that kind of stuff. But my grandma had these little Melmac pink dishes that we get ice cream after dinner, and we would go under the coffee table, the four of us, because it was my sister. Um, and my cousin Dean and my cousin April, the four of us would be all under the coffee table. We'd be watching, you know, uh, Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Oh, yes. At Disneyland, <laughs> right? Sunday nights at, at uh, Stepping Stones, up where my grandparents lived. Uh, those are like major memories. And again, you know, growing up with your cousins, like siblings, yeah, um, you know, having that same sort of relationship, seeing that within my kids and my sister's kids, just nothing makes my heart warmer. So I pictured these 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 group of Métis cousins under the table watching Mutual of Omaha. Like, why does that not surprise me? <laughs> just, I don't know. <laughs> what does what does the dinner table look like Christmas at the Daverin household? Oh my gosh. Well, so many people, there's just food everywhere, really. Like we, I think two years ago, we did a Christmas dinner at our house and we had a table that came out into the living room and kind of cornered around. Like it's, it's sort of, um, some people are standing and eating. Some people are on the couch. Some people are, you know, when you have too many people and not enough space and we have a huge living room, actually, that's why we bought the house. It's 20 by 25. But when you've got 25 plus people in there, there's not a lot of room. So, um, yeah, it's definitely we try to get, you know, Christmas crackers and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, yeah, no, Is it's all those lots of wild meat food. on the table. I know that there's a lot of harvesters in your family. That's why I was wondering lots of wild meat on the yeah, table. Yeah, not so much. No. At, not so much for Christmas dinner. We're pretty like, you know, turkey and, and gravy and that yeah. kind of stuff. Stuffing, of course. Sometimes the stuffing gets a little bit of that wild flair. But um, I would say, no, it's more, I think, you know, as we've aged, <laughs> Sorry, mom. So my mom obviously is a harvester and I was raised on canned kokanee sandwiches for school and venison and grouse. And I can't say it's my favorite. No. I'm bad <laughs> when I go to a meeting, people are like, oh, there's salmon. And I'm like, is there oh. chicken? So I am a bad meatie that way. I'll say that. My husband's good about making sure we still have um, some traditional foods in the house and such. But, uh, but I you're meaty nonetheless. You don't That's like, this right. is, this is what you do like today. Venison. You right. I have to like venison or, you know, canned kokanee sandwiches. For sure. Meaty. And it's totally okay to do your harvesting at Save On Foods. <laughs> well, and berries, right? We do berries and mushrooms. Those are big things that we like to do. Fantastic. So less about wild game, but Dean certainly helps us out there um, on Christmas Eve with all sorts of different wild game concoctions. I bet. Yeah. Nice. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about Christmas at the Daverins? Um, just basically, you know, I think it's just for us. It's um, whoever needs a place to come. Like we've had, yes. 
you know, family bring family. We've had friends come over and stay, you know, it depends on the situation. Like my parents have brought their friends over in the morning for Christmas morning wife saver if they've got no one to be with. Uh, again, so, you know, like we look forward to this Christmas post COVID. We know this year we'll be careful again, but hopefully next year we can get back to that normal where your doors just open and people just, you know, come by and. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a big thing with our families, that open door policy. Like that's how I grew up. We had the door open all the time. Neighbors would just walk in and and say hello as they're heading up the stairs. And if they caught you in your in your house coat, so be it. You'd put coffee on the table in front of them. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I get that. So looking forward to to sort of that piece moving ahead and and being able to just get back to normal. Right. We're all craving that. We really are. Yeah. Making it making it work in the meantime. And, you know, there's there's good things about COVID, too. And I know that sounds so strange to say, but Zoom, for example. Yes. You know, we used to always have to pass the phone around. My cousin April's in Edmonton with Quinn. And, and now we can do video on the TV. And, you know, you can see my cousin in in Victoria and you can see April and Quinn and Trevor and Auntie Cheryl in Edmonton. You know, like so you you get that extra connection and maybe um, even connecting maybe even connecting some people who otherwise wouldn't be able, you know, might, might be spending Christmas alone or, you know, not have that connection. Like at least this, this way we can, right. Nobody gets left out. Definitely. I think, uh, you know, the, the ability for people to use zoom and, and connect virtually it's, you know, it's like the next step to FaceTime, right? You don't yes. have to all have iPhones. You can just get on a, an iPad or a, an old cell phone or what have you and uh, make it work. So, you know, there's there's blessings in that as well, being able to connect people together when they can't be together. For sure. And one of the things, too, you can connect at the same time. Like, you know, I grew up, you know, we would, you know, we, we call grandma and grandpa on my mom's side. Then, you know, have that call. It gets passed around. Yeah. Hang up. Now we call grandpa on my, da- my dad's side. Then we call, you know, and my my dad was the oldest of 11. So there were a number of phone calls that we would go <laughs> through. Um, but now, you know, you that you know with, with uh, Zoom, you could just, you know, one meeting and then everyone could come on, have a mini uh, remote uh, reunion for Christmas, which yeah. is something, you know, wasn't easy because I, I had family, you know, my my grandparents uh, on both sides lived in Winnipeg. Uh, we lived uh, in British Columbia. And then I had family all in between, you know, in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and different parts of British Columbia. So that would that would have been nice uh, to have as a kid, um, to have a bit more of that close, uh, uh, that close interaction. You know, I didn't have a lot of cousins that were out west. Mine were all either in, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. So that would be something that... You know, now it would be something that's nice that we and don't. And maybe that's something that we can be thinking about too. Like people listening, is there somebody in your, you know, in your circle that maybe is not uh, so well versed with getting onto Zoom that you can help out, get them on Zoom so that they get a chance to connect with the rest of the family. It can just you know make such a big difference. Yeah, Tanya, thank you wonderful. so much for for coming in and uh, riding out on the the horse pulled wagon. <laughs> <laughs> to our cabin and sitting My by red the fire river cart. with us in your Red River cart and sharing a little bit about Christmas at the Davern household. Thank you so much. Yeah. I uh, Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to Christmas again this year and just even, you know, getting everything ready and just having people together as best we can. And if not, we'll Zoom them in because I certainly, you know, my cousin Lori and Victoria and her family don't get to see them that often. So it's nice to uh, yeah. have that opportunity. 
Well, Merry Christmas to you, and, and yes, please Merry pass Christmas our best on to Rob and give all those not-so-little Daverins a hug from us. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Well, Merry Christmas to you both yeah, and, you. Uh, and your families, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You thank too, you. Tanya. That was great to talk to Tanya and see her in person. I haven't it's, seen her in quite a while, it feels like. It's been too long. Like, yeah. you know, the, the people that we usually connect with across the Métis Nation, they're family. Yeah, exactly. I, I You know, those are some of the, the provincial meetings or whatever it is, the gatherings. Like, those are the people I enjoy. You know, I want to go to these events because then I get to see these extended family members, yeah. essentially, and uh, and visit and chat. And Have you ever felt driving through BC, like, as you're going through towns, like, oh, I know so-and-so here. And it feels like you've got... You know, people that you that are part of the Métis family right across the province. You could stop in and have tea Definitely. pretty much anywhere. I mean, I've had uh, times where I'm, you know, in Powell River, for example, for for work, and I've called or ran into you know people I know, uh, Métis families and and things like that. So, and you know, going to a, a, a teepee raising in yes. Powell River just because I happen to be there and going through. So yeah, that's it's really nice that we can drive through the province or fly wherever you're going and, uh, and 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 know there's someone there I can meet up with and whether it's having a coffee or stop at their place for a meal and, and vice versa. I think it's like the best part of being a part of this community. It is. It really is. Oh, oh I, I think Gary's at the door. I think so. I'll, I'll go I'll go let him in. Okay, and, excellent. Uh, and we'll, we'll have him come sit down. Fantastic. Gary, hey, welcome. Come on in. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it took Fantastic. me a long time to get here. There's a bit of snow on the ground and a little bit of water running down the highway. Well, I'm glad you made it in. Um, have a seat. Come on in. Warm up by the fire. So Gary is a Métis harvester. He's living off the land in Williams Lake, B.C. I've known Gary for like, I don't even know how long I've known you, Gary. At least a dozen years. I know I've listened to you tell many stories and... and uh, share your adventures as, as a harvester? Well, I mean, I, I met Gary, it would have been in summer of 2009. Basically, I started working for him for a summer, um, doing some research uh, with Métis Nation BC when he was the director of natural resources. And it was a, a great uh, summer for me, hearing stories and getting to to learn more about uh, some of the Métis history, especially here in BC. I really enjoyed that. I don't know if you remember that, Gary, but... Uh, Certain, certain. I do too. Yeah. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gary, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, so uh, my name is Gary Dukeman, as you've already uh, heard, I'm sure. Uh, Dukeman is not a, a common uh, Metis name, except there's a few of us here in British Columbia. But my grandmother uh, was a bird, and so my mother, my mother's mother, was a bird uh, from northern Saskatchewan, and. Uh, when I when I did some research on her, I found in the 1901 census that her first language was Cree. Oh, okay. So we're I'm, we're pretty close to the Cree tree here, <laughs> <laughs> but she also was identified as a uh, as a Cree breed, so she was part English. So I I uh, grew up in Saskatchewan. I uh, was born in in North Battleford. Grew up in Prince Albert primarily. Uh, but mostly in the bush. I was I was out camping on my own by the time I was about seven or eight years old and um, didn't move to British Columbia till 1970. So I'm starting to, that was I'm a starting good year. to age myself. <laughs> so I'm, I'm starting to age myself a bit, but I, I moved for <laughs> health for health purposes and, um, and I never looked back. My health improved dramatically and here I am. 
still alive. In, oh, in still BC, alive. has it always been in the in the Williams Lake area, or? Uh, no, I lived on Vancouver Island for a number of years. Um, I I built and ran salmon hatcheries there, um, primarily for the government, but also some uh, some of those dastardly fish farm hatcheries. <laughs> Uh, but I got, I, I had a chance to move away from there and get away from the rheumatoid arthritis that I was mm. getting from the wet mm. season. And so I did. Nice. And the family came with me. And we've just loved Williams Lake. We've been here for going on 30 years now. Wow. Nice. Uh, and we love the place. Gary, that whole time growing up in the prairies, did you think of yourself as a Metis kid? Did you know? Uh, well, we, we call ourselves half breeds. Yeah. And I know that's. That's not always a, a polite term anymore, but when you use it against yourself, I guess it's okay. And but that's you know that's what we believe we were. And and in fact, I lived um, I lived less than thirty miles from Batosh, and I remember going there with school trips, you know, two or three times during my my uh, my my early school days. And you know, all they told us was was that Riel was a, you know, was treasonous, and they hung him. Yeah. And we didn't know that anything about you know who the Métis were or, you know we were just breeds granny was an Indian as far as I knew yeah and it wasn't until I got older and started doing some research into my family that I I found you know all of those kind of subtle things that uh we hid so well yeah what are the things like when you think back to that what are what are the the clues that you definitely were a Métis family what are those distinctions uh, well, you know what, I, and it's this. This is another Christmas story, but I won't go into length about it. But I remember when I was quite young, like eight or nine, um, I went to Jasper with my with my family for Christmas because we had family there. And uh, Lisa, you're well aware, but everybody yeah, should be yeah. aware that you know there are, there are a lot of Métis around Jasper, and there has been there for are. many years. Yeah. So my my family was there. Uh, my my mom's brother and his family. And I remember going out, and and instead of singing in front of people's houses, we stood in a circle and jigged. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and I, I had no idea why. It's Honestly, just what you did. I had no idea why at that age, like eight or nine years old. Uh, and it wasn't until I was, you know, an adult that I kind of realized, holy, you know, I was I was doing a cultural thing, and I didn't even know it. And that's the thing, right? When people weren't talking about about being Métis, that you just did these things. What are what are the winter winter activities that you do now that you that kind of tie you to the land where you are? Well, I mean, hunting is one. Obviously, that's uh, you know I've always been a hunter ever since I was about four years old. Uh, hunted oh, wow. on my own, I think, since I was seven or eight years old. I mean, I, I recall I tell people this story and they kind of shake their heads. I I remember um, taking my gun and hitchhiking up the road to go hunting when I was seven, eight, nine years old. No way. And, you know, now they would throw your parents in jail. They, <laughs> they probably wouldn't throw you in jail, but they'd throw your parents in jail for doing that. And, and I recall one time that the police picked me up. They said, where are you going? I said, I'm going hunting up the Shell River. Oh, we'll give you a ride up there, they said. <laughs> they took me up and dropped me off. That's what I was, I was going to ask. Is who were the people picking up the little seven, eight-year-old kid with a Oh, no. With a rifle? I, I mean, I wouldn't have hitchhiked if it wasn't successful. Well, exactly. Sure. <laughs> sure. There was lots of people. And, you know, part of the reason is Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, had a really high percentage of Métis people. Yeah. Uh, still does. And and First Nations people as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it was, it was just the way it was. 
was the way of life. People kind of went, oh, okay. Yeah. What were you hunting for, Gary, at that um, age? I hunted primarily for, in the wintertime, I hunted for, for grouse and rabbits. And so I would, I, would, I would shoot grouse and rabbits, and I'd clean them on my trail. And the next day, I would go back and try to shoot the foxes and the coyotes that came to... Oh. That's amazing. The, like the it's vegan. just it's just not things that you hear, you know. Like like most families won't have those stories, right? Yeah, yeah. I kind of lost you for a second there, but oh, you're right. You don't yeah. hear that stuff anymore. And you know what? And that's one of the one of the things that I think we've lost a lot of. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's up to it's up to grandparents, I think, but parents as well, you know, to get the kids out and to do you know, do these outdoor activities. I agree. So my, my daughter was with me on this trip that I'm going to tell the story about, and she was going to be with me today, but uh, turns out that she's out looking for Christmas trees with her daughter, my granddaughter, and my grandson. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay, before we get into your story, I've got one more and question. And that's another winter activity that, you know, we've always done. We don't buy trees at the grocery store. That's true. You go out to the bush and uh, pick one yourself and... I, I remember that as a kid, uh, you know, you bring out the saw and the hot, the, the thermoses of hot chocolate and trudging through the snow and finding yourself a Christmas tree. Yeah, like there's everything that goes around that, right? The being outdoors, being with family, you know, yeah. it, it, it's a big deal. Yeah, I think the first uh, Christmas back from overseas when my when my partner came back with me, um, we, were, we were up in Terrace and uh, we went out to get getting our first Christmas tree, first real Christmas tree with when my when my wife was here and had had her cut down the tree. <laughs> <laughs> what did she think of that? Uh, well, we didn't make her drag it back, so right. I think she was okay. <laughs> because that wasn't part of a tradition that she knew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Gary, before we get into your story, I want you to describe Christmas dinner at your place because I suspect being a harvester, it might look different than what, what a lot of people know. Well, you know what? Interesting enough, it it doesn't. Um, you know, we're the we're the turkey and mashed potato people, but we do have some which I never knew when I was younger. I always thought my mom was just trying to poison us. But but <laughs> turnip and carrot mashed together. Guess what? That's a Métis food. Is if that you, right? If you look, yeah, if you look back into into the historic, you know, uh, writings about Métis in the eighteen hundreds, that was one of the foods that they ate. Makes sense. And, uh, so that's, I guess that's the only thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. Other than, you're, you're the, other than the, sorry. You're the second guest that we had on that, uh, you know, comes from a harvesting family that when I asked that question, you know, is there lots of wild meat at Christmas dinner? Said, nope, turkey and potatoes. Turkey <laughs> and potatoes. <laughs> so well, like we're still here what? today. This is how we eat, right? Yeah. And you know, the, the, the problem with being a harvester is you eat, your fill of wild game and fish Mm -hmm. you know there's never any thought in the morning of getting up and going oh man i haven't had i haven't had moose meat for so long i better get some out of the freezer well you just had it yesterday right yeah 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 (laughs) it's those of us who don't get that all the time that we're like tell me there's moose meat christmas dinner but yeah dinner that's okay Sorry, Bannock. Uh, that's all right. Bannock, and uh, and now I now I clued you in on uh, mashed mashed uh, carrots and turnips. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because those would be root vegetables that you could store, you know, in 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 a cold room all winter and and eat throughout the season, right? 
Yeah, and Métis were huge gardeners, like huge gardens in uh, in Winnipeg area. Uh, in fact, they they were such serious gardeners that when they went on the buffalo hunts, they would actually assign people to look after the gardens while they were away hunting. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Gary, you've always had so much information about about the culture, like you've just a wealth of knowledge. And so I'm really looking forward to you telling us about your favorite Christmas story, your favorite Christmas memory. Would well, you share it with us? it might not be as much as you think. Oh. <laughs> but it was a lot. It was okay. it was a really cool time. I'll start out by by saying that this Christmas story almost wasn't because my daughter and I were in a car accident on the way out to uh, to where we were going to go and and luckily we hit we hit uh, sheer ice. Luckily we went onto the inside of the curve and into the ditch instead of the outside of the curve and over about a thousand foot embankment. But at the same time, when I got out, I, I, I fell and I hurt my knee. And so I was kind of gimped up. Um, anyway, we, we, uh, where we were going, uh, and, and really what we were doing, it wasn't as much a Christmas, um, it wasn't as much a Christmas trip, but it was the, a winter equinox mm-hmm. so it was it was the 21st of december that we were and we were going out to visit uh relatives on the reserve close to here about a two it's about a two-hour drive and it's quite a rough road hence the reason it was sheer ice i guess yeah but we got out there and and i i went in the house and i could hardly walk my knee was just gimped up and we had planned on going on a horseback ride and so my brother said ah forget that he said well uh we'll hook up the team and wagon and the youngsters can ride the horses and you and I'll just ride the, ride the wagon and away we go. So I said, where are we going? Cause he was the one that had the plan. And, uh, he said, we're going to go up to the hot springs, which I'd been to a lot of times, but I'd never been there in the winter when there's two feet of snow. Yeah. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, the hot springs are not very hot. I've been up there swimming before and it's like, But what I didn't realize was that they were they had they had, they were on a six months uh, a six months lead time, so they were actually warmer in the winter than they were in the summer. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, you know, we went and we caught up the team, and and Miranda went with a couple of the young boys there, my my nephews, and she caught up, she and they caught up some riding horses. And I think we had we had our black percher and team, mm-hmm. Melanie and uh, Harmony was their names. They're gone now because this was, you know, this took place. Oh, I don't even know what year it was, but I think the daughter was 16 and she's 30 something now. Mm-hmm. I won't say how much. But <laughs> a while ago. Um, anyway, so we, we, we caught up Harmony and Melanie and, uh, and we hooked them up to the, we just had a, a straight, uh, we call it a hay wagon. They used it for feeding cows in the wintertime. They'd throw just, it was just a box didn't have a seat or anything on it so we, we hooked them up to the hay wagon and we went okay well there's no feet up there so we might as well take some hay and we can sit on the hay too while we're while we're riding up there so we took about 20 bales of hay with us and uh five horses the team and we had uh we had uh, bear which is a big gray mare part percher and mare uh riding horse and we had um we had who else did we have 
Oh, we had um, we had Ronnie. Ronnie is uh, was a huge, big um, quarter horse cross of some sort. Big, big, but just a gentlest little guy. And then we also had had Iron Horse, which is a, was a horse of mine. And so we had the three riding horses. My daughter, she was just hopped, and she said, "I'm going to ride every one of those horses this trip." I said, Great. So we started up the way up the way. It's about a five or six kilometer, at least five or six kilometer trip to get up there. And uh, under normal conditions, it's a four wheel drive road. But I mean, I don't think you'd have got through there with a four wheel drive without putting chains on it at that point in time. There was like a foot, foot and a half of snow. And we started up and we got about two kilometers in and it started to snow. So that's fine. Miranda's riding and I think she was riding Ronnie at that point. And, uh, you know, pretty soon it's snowing more and then it's it's snowing some more. And she's like 20 meters in front of us and I can't see her anymore. I said, hey, do you know where you're going? No, she said, but the horse knows. <laughs> she was right. The horse knew where we were yeah. going. <laughs> so because, of, you know, the horses, they get to know, you know, you put them on a trail and they're just going to follow that trail no matter if it's daytime or nighttime or snowing. And so that's fine. The way we went, we stopped about halfway up and she changed horses because the, the boys were riding the other two horses, but she talked them into letting her change out. So she changed horses. I can't remember what she changed to, but. Um, and away we went and it was a blinding snowstorm. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen it snow more or faster. Yeah. And you know, it was quick. It was like about an hour, hour and a half and then it was over and the sun came out and it was beautiful. Mm. Almost like we ordered it. Yeah. So we get up and, uh, we're, we're coming around the corner to the, to the hot springs and this hot springs is, a uh, it's, um, so the reserve is fairly close there, and but there's lots of people that use the hot springs for ceremonial stuff. And so there is a sweat house, and there's also a uh, a um, small kind of accommodation shack there, and we were going to stay in the shack. But we come around the corner, and we could see steam in the valley. Uh-huh. Okay, well, <laughs> we know that there's water open up there, and it's got to be warm because it's steaming. So... Sure enough, we rode up to the spring, and and it's it's kind of a neat spring. It's um, it's it's got a nice even bottom, but you got to be really careful getting in and out because it's got this calcium buildup, and it'll it'll rub the skin right off of you. It's just like sandpaper. But in the middle, you can see it's almost like there's a a circular uh, bubble machine down there. You can see these bubbles coming up from the bottom, and just you know, that effervescence, like, like pop, you know, just small bubbles coming up. And so the whole thing just kind of rotates. We checked it out, went, checked the temperature. Yeah, it was, it was nice. Just considering it was funny blowout, but it wasn't really (laughs) what I would call warm. Well, the the kids right away went in there because, you know, they don't care. (laughs) And, and when I was a kid, I didn't care either. I used to swim in the lake when the ice was was coming off, and there was there'd be five feet of open water around the outside, and I'd still go go, go flopping in. We get there, uh, we take some of the feed off and feed the horses and give them a rub down, and you know you always got to look after your animals before you look after yourself. And then uh, in we went, and we had a we had a couple of uh, I call them. Uh, 
I call them mailbags, big canvas bags that we had our sleeping bags, all that stuff in. And that was about the time I realized that I never brought any food. Oh, no. Um, you know, we're, and we're going to stay, we're at least going to stay overnight, but maybe we're going to stay two nights. Just so I said to my brother, Larry, I said, hey, what the hell do you eat? He said, ah, don't worry about it. He said, I got that taken care of. So that night, we're all in the cabin, and it's all nice and warm. And He says, okay, time for supper. So he reaches down, and he brings this big bag out, and it's full of moose meat. There's like a 50-pound chunk of moose meat in there. Oh, wow. I went, what the heck? Yeah, 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 we're going to eat like kings, he said. And then he reached down, and he brought up a great big bottle of Cattle Boys barbecue sauce <laughs> and he said we're gonna eat it like white men do <laughs> I went, okay so we had moose meat and barbecue sauce for two days and we didn't complain <laughs> not even a little bit so what we did was we uh we didn't do um well i shouldn't say uh, miranda and i didn't do the sweat house uh the rest of them did but she was pretty uncomfortable and I don't blame her. She was, I think she was 15 or 16. She didn't want to go buck naked into a house with a whole bunch of guys. So <laughs> and the fact that she stayed out, I stayed out with her. But we, we still had fun and they had fun. And, you know, we yelled insults at them when they come running out and jumped in the pool. Naked <laughs> and that kind of stuff, which is all fun. But uh, she rode all of her horses several times. We, you know, it was nice enough that we took some side trips during the day and kind of just looked around the country. And, and it was good fun. And I think we had good weather the rest of the trip. I think it was just that one snowstorm. Gary, I All love, was good. I love hearing how you, you know, like that old Métis cowboy law, you look after the animals before yourself. Like the, your, yeah. your love of your animals really comes through as you tell that story. Right from the beginning, well, naming all their names, taking the time to name them all and remember them all. Well, you know, it's something that just comes second nature. You don't even think about that stuff. And it and it comes from the it comes from the time when your life depended on those animals. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you know, we you know, I'm not that old that I, my life ever depended on my, my horse. Although I've been lost a few times where I let the horse take me home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I picked up on that as well. The And guess what? It went the opposite direction that I thought, and I was going to argue with it. And all of a sudden, I went, okay, well, we'll go where you want. And sure enough, put me right home. Right? Well, the way, the way you uh, described it when you were thinking, you say, who else did we have? You yeah, know, the who, who else? not, you know, which other horses. And, uh, yeah, part of the family. Exactly. Who else did we have? Part of the family, remember? Well, speaking of part of the family, we had Chubby, too. Chubby, Chubby was a, a shepherd cross. Was Chubby and with you on this trip? Chubby was with us on that trip. Yeah, Chubby was, uh, he was the best dang dog that ever lived. And he was a hunting dog. He would, uh, you know, it's illegal to hunt for, you know, for the government season, it's illegal to hunt with a dog. But I've seen him out there with the Indian guys, you know, First Nations guys, and they, uh, you know, they would wound a, a deer or something, and they'd come and, and get Chubby. Take him out there, put him on the track, and within five minutes, Chubby would have that deer. And what he did was he ran up to it and he grabbed it by the nose and he held it. So even if it was just wounded, he had never got away. And I seen him do that with moose too. Hmm. 
chubby just like, follow yeah. along as you guys rode out there to that hot spring yeah if he got yeah. if he got tired he'd jump on the wagon yeah if he got tired he'd jump on the wagon but yeah he you know what he, he was used to running 50 miles a day i mean that's that's what bush dogs do yeah dave can you imagine being one of gary's grandkids like all the stories yeah, that would yeah, it, it'd be fun. And that, it's something I'm wondering, um, as you know, my daughters are pretty young. Gary, maybe how has Christmas changed for you or the Christmas season? You know, going from a father to a grandfather. You know, instead of having just the kids, now you've got grandkids around. Well, you know, I think it's more fulfilling now that I've got grandkids, and and I say that not because I didn't you know, appreciate my kids, but I was caught up in that, you know, non-Aboriginal world of trying to make money and, you know, doing my, my duty as a father and a provider. And I just didn't have the time for my kids right? that I've got for my grandkids. And, uh, you know, the grandkids, well, I mean, two of them live in my basement. So, I mean, they, they, they get hours a day of my stories. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they, they don't appreciate whether, it quite as whether much. Whether they want it or not, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, you know, they come club, they come clobbering upstairs, clang, bang, clang, and just barely daylight. Papa, make bannock. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> we want num nums, make bannock. So yeah. I thought, well, I didn't have to teach her much, but their mom makes bannock now. But you know what I you described, like that is a real traditional way of doing things, like where the grandparent is really involved with the kids and, and passes on these stories and passes on these old traditional ways, because you're absolutely right. Parents, they're, they're so busy just making a life for themselves, a life for the families, right? That it's yeah. There's so much balancing that they have to do, and, and having that grandparent close by to pass on our traditional ways is just so special. I, uh, my, my little newest little grandson just turned four a month ago and I bought him a pair of binoculars because he always was stealing mine, but he, he took his binoculars. He went, Oh, Papa, he said, we can use them for hunting wild chickens. Yeah. <laughs> <But> okay. <laughs> he knows what binoculars are for. Exactly. Well, Gary, I feel like it's going to be a really great Christmas with you there with the grandkids and everything. And, you know, if nothing else, they're going to have this recording of you telling this story. It's just so special that you were able to to come here and, and share this with Dave and myself and however many others tune in and listen to the podcast. Both of them? <laughs> All two of them that listen to the podcast. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> You know I'm just teasing you. I know you are. I can't leave without giving you a tease. Well, that's true. Uh, that's what I enjoy about you, Gary. You have a very Merry Christmas. We um, sure will. We're already starting. You. So That's great. Yeah. 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 Starting to spend Grandma's money because she's the only one working now. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And yep. I, I hear the horses out. They're getting restless for you to come and. I've got I've and, got a whole uh, set of those for my team. You should hear it. Yeah, I bet you that would be, that would be amazing to hear that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Be well Thanks, until Gary. we get to see you again. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Merry Christmas, Lisa. Take care. And David. Take care.
Well, that was great. I I miss talking with Gary. It was uh, was really nice having a visit. Yeah, this has been fun. Yeah. So grateful to have had Tanya and Gary here. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably pretty much. Maybe I spoke too soon. There's something else. Somebody else at the door. Well, hey. Were we expecting anyone else? Not that I know of, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's Christmas time, so the doors always open. So the people doors always. Who knows who it visiting. is? Visiting. So okay. I'll go take a look. All right. Is that who I think it is? Looks like President, President Cassidy Caron. It does. Fantastic. So our final guest that I'm so honored to have here with us is President Cassidy Caron, the newly elected president of the Métis National Council. She's the first elected woman to the position. She's been the Minister of Youth for Métis Nation BC. She comes from a historic Métis family. And she's been one of my lovely Métis models for my beadwork printed clothing. Is it okay to say that? Okay, good. Of course, yeah. <laughs> President Karan, if you could please introduce yourself. Sure. Tansei Kyo, hello everyone. As uh, Lisa introduced me, my name is Cassidy Karen. I'm the newly elected president to the Métis National Council. My family comes from St. Louis and Batoche, Saskatchewan, two historic Métis communities in Saskatchewan. I was born and raised in British Columbia in a small town called Rossland. I grew up skiing. Winter was always my favorite season. <laughs> and uh, now, actually, I'm, I'm recording this podcast from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, actually from Métis Nation Saskatchewan's uh, Legislative Assembly. So I'm just uh, off to the side here and, so and recording amazing. the podcast in this room. So. Yeah, happy to be here, happy to share stories. That's so important to me, is the way that we can share stories. So thank you to the both of you for inviting me here to to do just that, to share our stories. Uh, We're so grateful to have you here. So I've seen you all over the place representing Métis at a national level, and I feel like you really hit the ground running. You must be so busy. Is there going to be time this year for Christmas in the Karen household? There will be. We'll make time for it. Christmas is my favorite holiday. It's my favorite season. I love it just to be able to get home and visit with my family to slow down Mm. is uh, is so needed. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Since uh, since I was elected about seven weeks ago only, uh, it was uh, just time to hit the ground running. And uh, the Métis Nation didn't stop for the election, so we just jumped right into it and right. uh, trying to find our feet and move forward all at the same time. So it's been busy, but uh, I will make it home the day before Christmas and uh, cutting it close this year, but I'll be able to go home and, and spend some time with my family, which is I'm looking forward to because I didn't get the chance to last year because of right. uh, the, the global pandemic. Yeah. So it was the first year that I missed family Christmas, and so I'm really looking forward to yeah, getting home this year. Yeah, we all felt that. It was mm-hmm. awful. What, what did uh, Christmas look like last year in, in, in that, that yeah, time? Yeah, during pandemic time. Yeah, was it was quiet, which is <laughs> yeah. different for me because it's I have a way. big and loud family. <laughs> so yes. I spent Christmas... My fiance and I bought uh, a house in Huntsville, Ontario, just right before the pandemic, or maybe it was just at the the very start of the pandemic. And uh, 
So Christmas, it was just him and I and our dog Smoke, and uh, we got a Christmas tree from our property and cut that down, brought it home, and we got to spend Christmas in our home. And uh, it was just, it was really nice actually, just to kind of slow down. But of course, I missed my family. We spent a lot of time on FaceTime on Christmas yeah. and Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and uh, visiting still with our family. Uh, one of uh, the elders that I speak with, she talks about how technology these days is our way of being able to visit with one another. She talks about how texting is visiting these days. Yes, and no, uh, and so, yeah, we're definitely, we're taking advantage of technology to still be able to do that visiting. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a, a an unusual Christmas last year, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, it's not the way that we do things as Métis people. And I, with our family, we just kind of had a conversation about, you know, our, our ancestors had to do difficult things. And this is a difficult thing. And we can do this. Like, we can get through this. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of been, been what we've been saying through this whole thing. But I have to tell you, I'm over it. I want to be with family. I want to be with big gatherings this Christmas. It's so hard. So, you know, we're going to have to just do things carefully and safely and, and do the best that we can. I definitely agree. So Christmas music, yay or nay? <laughs> yay. yay. I love Christmas music. So it's uh, Especially when I was doing my undergraduate degree, when I so I when I graduated from high school, I moved away from home to go and do do my university degree, and uh, so it was the first time I moved away from my family. I didn't know anybody in the city that I moved to, and uh, I just have these kind of nostalgic memories of uh, Christmas is coming, and it was also <laughs> the same time as doing exams. So it was like. You know, you just got to do your exams and then you get to go home for Christmas. And it's such a big reward. And uh, for the memory for me is just being able to uh, hear Christmas music in the stores and that that kind of triggers, okay, exam season, then Christmas. And so always studying for those uh, those winter final exams was always background music uh, of uh, Christmas music. So I'm a, a big Christmas music fan. Do you have a favorite song? Or... I was just going to ask that. Yeah, favorite Christmas <laughs> oh. song or album? I I don't know. I would always just look forward every year to the new cover albums that would come out. <laughs> so, like I remember being in university and Justin Bieber put out his Christmas <laughs> album and I was so excited about that. But I'm I'm just a fan of all the classics. Ah, oh, fantastic. What's your favorite wintertime activity? You're in a snowy oh. part of the world. So what's your favorite wintertime yeah. activity? Oh my gosh, anything in the snow. I yeah. love the snow. I love the cold. And, and what I love the most is coming inside after being cold and getting to be all nice and warm and cozy. But I grew up downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, skating, playing hockey. Winter is my favorite season because I get to do all of those things. And uh, where I'm located now, we have access to a lake that freezes over. So we spend hours and hours and hours just trying to shovel and make a nice skating rink out on that lake. And we spend way more time prepping the ice than yes. we ever do skating. Yeah, that's part of the activity. But I love it. I love it so much. And so uh, I, I would say at this point, I love just outdoor skating. You just described like every Prairie Kids winter, ex- winter experience. That's yeah. fantastic. So would you like to share with us your favorite Christmas or winter memory story? I would love to. Ah, We'd love to hear it. Yeah. So like I said, Christmas and winter, it's my favorite season. It's all about being 
back with my family, back with my friends, and just getting to spend that quality time with one another. And uh, I was raised by my mom and my grandma, and it was so it was me, my mom, my grandma, and my sister. So always just surrounded by such incredibly strong women. And uh, I think when I, growing up, I t I kind of took that took advantage of that. I, I I took it for granted. And now looking back on it, it's it's so wonderful to think about all the memories that we have together. And one of those memories is about having a traditional meal every year we would eat on New Year's Day, we would have boulette and bang. And uh, for those of you who don't know what boulette and bang is, uh, boulette is basically a meatball soup. It's, it's just plain ground beef with some onions and breadcrumbs boiled in water. And we ate it with ketchup. And it sounds so gross when you explain <laughs> it like that. <laughs> but it was so good. <laughs> and we would eat it with bang and bang was the the kind of the traditional bread that we would eat it was, it's kind of like a fry bread kind of like a bannock but the way that you make it is that you need and you need and you need and you need and it becomes so chewy it's a chewy it's not fluffy it's not More tender it's, it's a very chewy bread that you fry and so we would have that every new year's day and that would be a meal that we would have and growing up so i grew up in bc uh knowing where i came from knowing that i was metis and that we would come back to the prairies every summer and uh, and spend time with our family we'd come back to batosh and we would celebrate at back to batosh days but i didn't know that that all of this culture and tradition was still around me with my family in bc when i was growing up and a part of that is the traditional meal of boulette and bang i didn't understand every year that we were eating that that that's a traditional meal that a lot of metis families eat around the holidays whether it's on christmas eve or christmas day or new year's eve or new year's day but we would have that every year and I, I, again, it was one of those things that I just took for granted. And now thinking about it, I can't wait to just carry on that tradition with my family. And I always knew how to make boulette. My grandma taught me how to make boulette, but we never, ever made the bang in BC. Really? We would always make sure that we were bringing it from our relatives in Saskatchewan. It was always this thing where our, our relatives from Saskatchewan would ship us frozen bang for... <gasps> New Year's Day and we never made it and I was always wondering why don't we make our own why don't we make our own bang and Nana said oh we, we make that with the family it takes tons of people to make it because your hands get tired from all the kneading and you need somebody monitoring the, the oil that you fry it in and it's a big family affair and because we didn't have all of our family around us she said we leave it up to our relatives in Saskatchewan <laughs> to make it for us and so it was just really actually, after my grandma passed away, uh, we didn't have bang for oh, the longest no. time. We would have boulette and we would make gu uh, gullet with it, which is, um, it's, a, it's like a baked bannock, which we would make with stews or soups. And so we yeah. would have bang or we would have boulette and we would have gullet, um, but we wouldn't have bang. And then one time, one of our family members brought it over for us again. And I said to my mom, mom, why don't we make our bang? Like, why can't we do that? Yeah. We have a lot of family around us. Let's start doing this. And so it was really only in the last couple of years 
that my mom started talking to all of our relatives out in Saskatchewan saying, send me the recipe. We got to do this. (laughs) And so she started doing it. She made a practice batch before I came home from university and uh, she learned all the different things that, that we needed to fix. And, uh, and so we tried it and we made bang. And so it was a couple of, this would have been a couple of years ago. And so it was just mom and I in the kitchen. And sure enough, just like my grandma told us, our hands were so tired from all of the kneading. Yeah. We overcooked it because somebody wasn't monitoring the pot. Uh, and so the next year we learned, okay, we need to bring more family. Yeah. And we need to make this a family affair. We need to really revitalize what, what was happening with our relatives out in Saskatchewan and bring it to BC so that we could bring back that tradition. And so in the last couple of years, we've been bringing our family together. We've been making bang uh, so that we can all share it over uh, boulette for, for New Year's Day. And uh, my mom called me. I actually got to visit with my mom in Batash uh, just a couple of months ago. She came out and we, we had a little visit out there. And she said, she said, I have Nana, this is my grandma. I have Nana's actual recipe for bang this year. Oh, wow. She said, I was talking to all our aunties and they've been looking around and they've been like kind of looking at one person's recipe, looking at another person's recipe and kind of figuring out the actual way that they used to make it. And so my mom told me this year, I'm going to wait for you until we come home at Christmas this year and we're going to use Nana's recipe and we're going to make bang. And I'm just so excited to do that because that's just, like I say, that's something that we've done every year. And now we get to carry that on. I get to learn how to make bang and then I'll be able to pass that on with my family. My fiance, Paul will be with me. So we'll have more hands on deck. And uh, I just look forward to being able to, to carry on that tradition with my family. I want some. Yeah. I want some. I'll bang. send you some. Would you send me some bang? Like I like I oh. said, we used to get it frozen and then shipped out to BC. So I can a bang apparently is resilient and can be mailed. So it, it, yeah. it holds together at sea level. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Dave, have you had it? I haven't had bang. I've had I bullets. I haven't had bang but, either. Uh, bullet, I, I I always hear it with the anglicized terminal bullets. Bullets, and, yeah, and and what bullets but, and bang, yeah. And that's, that's a funny thing that uh, somebody recently told me because, you know, Métis people, when I talk about Métis people and I talk about Métis history, I talk about how, you know, uh, we're a resilient people and uh, resistance is in our blood. And then yes. somebody said, yeah, you know, bullets and bang, like even our food is uh, <laughs> is resistant, it's resilient, it's wanting to go to battle. Our food is bullets and bang. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so, that's awesome. And it's always, yeah. it's always interesting how, you know, tradition and culture comes through and this was with any culture it shows in the food and how it's prepared and you know if you go back to the harvesting of you know the buffalo hunts where you know it'd be not just a community, but communities of yes. people, you know, hundreds up to, th- you know, like up Making to 1,500 sure everybody was taken care of. Everybody had food. Everyone had, you know, mm-hmm. and then that was, that was how they were going to harvest. And then the preparation, all the uh, the aunties and the mothers, you know, would, would how they um, prepare the meat and things like that. And, you know, it's the same thing that you describe. You know, it's that family, it's that community feeling mm-hmm. and uh, passing that along. And that's Yeah, that's everybody fantastic. had a job, yeah. right? Everybody yeah. had, a, had a part to play. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah, going to exactly. ask you before you said that you have your grandmother's actual recipe. I was going to say, would you share the recipe with us to put up? But now I feel like it's such a sacred thing, your grandmother's recipe. Well, let me say, like, let's try it out this year, see how it goes, <laughs> and I would be happy to share it. Sure. But it is, it's one of those things, too, that every family makes it different and every family yes. weaves it different because it's like, it's a, 
it's actually this is I'm just making this connection right now is that uh, I mean we have our woven sash as Métis people yeah. and uh, bang is one of those things it's not just like a chunk of bread you you it's a square but then you cut some slices into it and you kind of weave it together and it's like oh. a little bit of a braided bread but every family does that different too and so that's part of the process that we're learning is what's the best way to weave this uh, this bread before we fry it so that it cooks evenly and so it's it's uh it's quite the process that i'm learning about and uh just thinking about the the old times when all of my aunties and my grandmother and and uh and great grandmother i just think about the times that they must have had when they were all in the kitchen working on bang together and uh i just i just warms my heart and i just love thinking about that you know what I love that you said in that is you said, and I'm just making that connection now. And I just think that that is such a, an important thing because I feel like as Métis people, this is what we do, right? Like we mm-hmm. we go through our, our lives and we do these things and then suddenly we're like, wait, that was a Métis thing or that is something that I remember my parent telling me or my grandparent telling me. And and we piece together this story that, you know, was lost perhaps because of of things that took place in, mm-hmm. in history, you know, where a time when we weren't allowed just to openly celebrate. And, you know, that, that idea that in talking about food, you made that connection. That's just really special. And, and that's all in sharing our stories, which yes. is exactly what you're doing here. Just starting the conversation by saying, share your story. And then there's yeah. other people who will connect to different pieces of the story and be able to build on it. And I just love that. Like the idea of being able to travel around to our communities, get to know different people, just to hear the stories and share the stories. That's how we rebuild a nation. And I just yeah. think you're playing such an important role in doing this with this podcast by just having people share their stories. It's so important. And I think it's uh, it's one of those pieces that's a little bit underestimated, but I, I can't wait to just continue hearing and, and sharing stories. And thank you for saying that, you know, like that's one of the things that we really wanted to do with this podcast is we just really wanted to meet people where they are, like whatever their stories are, whatever their, their lived experiences are as Métis people, or it's completely valid. You know, not everybody has grown up on a trap line, but that doesn't make their stories less valid. And so we really wanted just to, yeah, just have people tell their true stories. So thank you mm-hmm. for saying that. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's one of the advantages of, you know, the new technology podcast or Zoom is those opportunities to hear from different parts of the, the country or the province or, you know, the different communities and hearing those stories and, and, and allowing that connection. Because a lot of times it's like it's either, you know, one side is, oh, I thought everyone did it this way. And you're right. realizing, no, it's not everyone yes. who does it this way. Or um, mm-hmm. you're thinking you're the only one who does it. And then you're realizing, actually, there's, you know, Métis families around, all around that did it the same way. And you're just like realizing, well, there's that that genesis, that that source of where, where it started. And you can kind of start tracing back and seeing where we're connected. And, and, and connecting mm-hmm. across such a vast area too, right? Like our... Yeah. Our people moved around so much and, you know, to know that, you know, you can say something about the way that you celebrate Christmas and it resonates with me, even though, you know, I was an Alberta kid. Right. And, uh, you know, but we still those those stories traveled and the way that we did things traveled. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those that piece around connection is so important because our the Métis Nation and all of our communities, all our people there's so much diversity. There We're not is. just, we can't yes. just paint the Métis Nation with one one stroke of a brush and say, you are all the same. 
I mean, you think about the diversity from from northwestern Ontario to, to northeastern British Columbia. That's a big landmass. We're all different. We all have different experiences. We all have different stories. And we all have different ways that we connect to our culture and to who we are. And and again, it's just through those stories and being able to talk to one another, connect with one another, and uh, and listen and hear one another's stories yeah. too, that we're, we're able to make those connections and start to understand what does it mean to be Métis? Where do we come from? Yes. And and it's just, it's such an important conversation. And the culture is the thing that we all do connect with. And the culture is the thing that really brings us together. And I think that we're at, we're at our healthiest, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, when we're immersed in our culture and listening to each other's stories and, and making those connections. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you were able to make the time to come out here and have a visit with us and talk about the way that your family broke bread together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I've i been saying this all along since, I mean, all along, all seven weeks that I've been elected so far. <laughs> it feels that, like all along. <laughs> uh, it feels like all along. My favorite favorite times have been the the opportunities to be able to speak with our people and whether that be through community radio or or the podcast such as this these are the moments that I absolutely love they fill my cup they fill my heart it's uh this is the work that I'm so passionate about is is making those connections and being able to speak with all of you. So thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, anytime I'll come back. I was back just going to say, and you are welcome you. back yeah. anytime. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. And Merry Christmas to you and, and to Paul and your whole extended family. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you and to, to everybody listening as well. Well, that was so good to see Cassidy again and have that conversation. Wasn't it? She's so yeah. busy, so it was yeah. great to actually have a chance to have her, to sit down and, and chat with her. This has been a lot of fun, Dave. It has. You yeah. know, you're thinking, you know, I got to share my story, which I'm sure my brother and my dad probably not the happiest. <laughs> um, we heard from Tanya and Gary, who I hadn't seen in quite a while. Yes. You know, we haven't heard a story from you. How about, would, would you be willing to share? Yeah, I'll share. I'll share my favorite Christmas story, absolutely. Yeah, please. Yeah, so every family has a matriarch. And in our family, it was my grandma Louie. Now, Louie wasn't her real name, but it was a nickname, and that's how us kids knew her. She was Grandma Louie. Now, I have to give a little bit of background. Um, my grandma Louie, she raised her kids through some really difficult times. You know, she was a single mom, And, you know, times were really, really tough. You know, there were times where other relatives would help out when they could. Uh, My great auntie was like a second mom to all of the kids. But, you know, by the time us grandkids came around and came into the picture, circumstances had changed for Grandma Louie. She was quite an enterprising woman. Um, She managed a waffle house in Edmonton, and she went on to manage several different Mac stores. I remember it was always a highlight for us when she would bring home broken down packages of of Twinkies, right? (laughs) Like if the packages broke open, then she was allowed to bring them home and and that's what we got to have. Because she wouldn't be able to sell them anymore, No, she couldn't sell them, right, exactly. She was an excellent manager. And what I remember is 
she always made a point to hire people who were otherwise unemployable. So she took her position as manager and would make sure that, you know, if somebody didn't have a real resume or or had come from, you know, different difficult circumstances, that she gave them a chance and she wasn't afraid to hire them. And she always impressed upon us when we were little kids uh, to take care of others. I remember in thinking about birthdays or Christmases or whatever, her saying was, it's always better to give than to receive. And she loved giving. And Christmas was her time. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I think back, I think she really was making up with us grandkids for the Christmases that she wasn't able to give her own kids. So I think it was probably very fulfilling for her. So it's kind of like what what Gary was talking about before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Tanya had said that Christmas Eve was the big celebration. That was the same with with our house, too. Christmas Eve was the really big celebration. It was when the whole extended family gathered together, all of the aunties and uncles and all of my cousins. And it's the day that we waited for. Like, Christmas Day was fun, but Christmas Eve was what we really waited for. I remember arriving to Grandma and Grandpa's house. It was always at Grandma and Grandpa's house. By that time, Grandma was in different circumstances. She was married to the man that I know of as my grandpa. Um, I remember arriving to Grandma and Grandpa's house when the sky was already darkening. You know, so like December 24th, Edmonton, the sky's dark. You know, the stars are out. Even the air has like a sparkle to it because it's so cold you know you breathe out and you see your breath and all of us just bundled up in so many layers of clothes and we'd arrive to grandma and grandpa's house and the outside of their home they'd always string christmas lights and they were always blue and green and you know even today i'm so excited by seeing blue and green especially at christmas time like even like beadwork, when yeah. I put blue and green together, it just, there's that little something that kind of brings you back, right? Um, the food was always finger food through most of the night. So I remember trays with Ritz crackers and marbled cheese. And the marbled cheese was an exciting thing for us because we only had orange cheddar. <laughs> yeah. You know, at home, but Christmas at Grandma and Grandpa's, we got the marbled, the white, and the orange, which tasted no different than just the the orange, but it was exciting. Um, So the marbled cheese and slices of kielbasa. Grandma made uh, a little bit of baking. The one baked good that I remember her making was haystacks. So the little drops of a, a mix of butterscotch and chocolate and peanut butter over chow mein noodles with peanuts. And I think it, it it's a no-cook, I don't know if you call it a cookie, but they were haystacks. We loved them. We just, and, and so as a kid, this is what you would have at Christmas yeah, Eve. Yeah, this huh. is what would be out. And yeah. as well as um, like the little multicolored candies, the, those were always out. And cold cut meat slices hmm. you know the the platter with different meats and pickles and all finger foods and, and yeah. sweet treats but we waited until later in the night when somebody would say hey isn't it that time and everybody meat pies and grandma had been busy making these meat pies and that was the big thing with us is everybody would wait until it was late enough in the night and everybody was hungry grandma would bring out the meat pies and that was the big christmas food for us and so who's who would be that person you know each year to say hey isn't it that time to kind of 
Usually, like one of the uncles, one of the uncles or someone, yeah. yeah, like one of the guys would would talk about, "Hey, mom, isn't it that time?" Um, and I used to like eating my meat pie back then as a kid with Heinz tutti frutti sauce. So if you've had that, it's like HP sauce light, like a little bit sweeter. Um, now I we still have it's still a tradition in our mm-hmm. home to have meat pies Christmas Eve. Now I prefer it with real maple syrup. So you know, maybe my tastes have grown up a little bit, but um, no more tutti frutti. No more tutti frutti. Yeah. So that was always a a big thing was Grandma's meat pies. Usually. Uh, I think it was usually after we had the meat pie that grandma and grandpa would say to me and my cousins, why don't you take your cousins and go upstairs to grandma and grandpa's room and look out the window. See if you can spot Rudolph. And we would just like stumble over each other to get up the stairs as fast as we could and jump up on grandma and grandpa's bed and, you know, faces pressed up against the cold glass, you know, our noses squished up against the glass. And we would watch the sky, the night sky. And every single plane that went by with a flashing light was absolutely Rudolph. Yeah. And as we were looking out, at the sky, we would suddenly hear the door open and a big ho, ho, ho. And we would jump off the bed and just run down the stairs as fast as we could. And there he was at Grandma and Grandpa's house, Christmas Eve, Santa, his red and white fur suit, his big black shiny boots and belt, and his curly beard. And he had, of course, on his back a sack. And one by one, he called each of us grandkids up to come and get our one gift. And he called up all of the adults, too. There was always a gift there for all of the adults. They had a lot of fun getting a, a gift from Santa. And, you know, I think back to that time, and I just think, through the eyes of a child, how magical that was. I remember the one Christmas, this was every Christmas Eve. This happened every Christmas Eve. We knew after the first one, we knew what to expect, right? But it was still exciting. And I remember the one Christmas Eve when my oldest cousin was a lot older. um, And he he wasn't silly guy. He wasn't believing in Santa. And so he was looking at Santa and he was going, oh, I know who that is. That's Uncle George. And then he'd look around and like, Uncle George was there. And he went through all of the uncles, you know, accusing Santa of being this uncle or that uncle. But they were all there. It wasn't any of the uncles. So it had to be the real Santa. Had to be the real Santa. Absolutely. We had had Grandma Louie arranged to have the real Santa at our house every Christmas Eve. Irrefutable proof. Yeah. Now, Dave, it wasn't until I was an adult, moved out of my parents' home, living here in BC, that I was recalling this story to my mom and dad. And I said, I remember when my cousin was trying to figure out who was Santa. And my dad told me then, he said, well, you know who Santa was. I said, I don't. He said, Grandma would invite the one employee, whichever employee she had that year, that didn't have a home to go to at Christmas. She would invite them to their house for Christmas Eve and give them the role of Santa. 
And so sometimes Santa was played by a store employee. Sometimes Santa was played by a delivery guy. Mm -hmm. But it was always that one person that had nowhere to go at Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, and I just think I'm so grateful that that was what she did for us and did for someone else. And, you know, when she talked about it's better to give than receive. And and that's such an amazing story, Um, you know, giving someone like that with nowhere to go or you know like a such a prominent position in in the you know in the celebrations yeah I think the thing is is that when you've known hard times yeah you're you know a lot more open and you know we understand we see each other right yeah. we see each other when we've been through tough times like that and and make a point of making sure that there's space for everybody yeah, around good, the table. Yeah, so yeah. making the, the sense of inclusion and community. Yeah, I think know. we still see that in our communities we today, do. don't yeah. we? Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing that story. That's, that's you know, what what did you feel when, when you first heard that, though? Like, when you just, uh, that would have just shocked me, you know? As a, you know, like, especially, you know, the story of your cousin trying to name all the, and yeah. just, and nope, it's the real Santa. That's yeah, it it was it it did when I first found out that that's who played Santa. It really, um, I was so shocked. I was so surprised. I didn't know that that was the story, and to hear about it so much later on in life, yeah. uh, it was like seeing my grandma in a different way yet yeah. again. Like I mean, we all she had so much respect, you know, in the community. She had so much respect because um, so many people we're given a a lift up I guess and so you know to hear that story later on was just I I guess very humbling yeah yeah well thank you yeah thank you so I think that pretty much wraps things up yeah and you know it it, it's one it's wonderful to share these stories and you know I think you know this year is obviously you know most people are in a better spot this year I think Mm -hmm. than last year with uh with COVID. So I'm hoping, you know, people are going to be able to reach out this year. If you can't meet in person, maybe, you know, reach out and yeah. share a story. Yeah, we just need to think about the others around us. And, you know, just reaching out and sharing that story might make all the difference yeah. to somebody getting through a tough season. Well, right? thank you for having me here. I, uh, I enjoyed it. It's been so good, Dave. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. This has been episode two of Feeding Together. To get my favorite recipe for meat pie and Grandma Louie's recipe for haystacks, visit our Beating Together Facebook page, and you'll find that info in the description of the episode. I want to thank our guests, Tanya Daverin, Gary Dukeman, and MNC President Cassidy Caron. Beating Together is produced and edited by Aaron Dawson. Audio engineer is Scott Curry. Our theme music was composed by Métis actress and musician Alexa Berard. Our podcast artwork was designed by Métis graphic designer Emma Grant. This podcast was made possible through funding from Métis Nation British Columbia.